Yeah, I've got personal goals, and it's important to have a plan. And that's what mm-hmm. uh, you know, like. But you need to be have that plan, but you need to have flexibility along the way because things do happen, things mm-hmm. change. You need to be okay with that. But uh, but that will be my tip for everybody: is like have at least some semblance of a plan. Don't just shoot from the hip. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. I am Jason Muth, and we're here with an amazing guest, Saad Munir from Tory Homes here in the Boston area, right? Correct. Excellent. And Rory Gill, our attorney broker with Next Home Title Town Real Estate and Urban Village Legal, also here in Boston. Hello, hey, Rory. Jason. People hear from us all the time. Let's get let's get to Saad because like we've invited him <laughs> on the podcast and he has such amazing information to say. We met Saad a couple weeks ago at a networking group uh, that we're hosting called Network to Grow Your Net Worth. Uh, and, you know, we appreciate your coming to the event. And, you know, I think I, I talked to you for quite some time and so did Rory. And we're like, yeah, I, I got to get this guy in the podcast because he knows a lot about the local market. Uh, he's a real estate investor himself. And I think he's got a lot of great information to share. So, so welcome. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate yes. it. Let's introduce you as as what you do, you know, with with your gig, and we'll talk a little bit about that company, and then we'll talk a little bit about um, you know some of the investing that you do on the side uh, sure. as you're building your own portfolio and and wealth management and whatnot. So you work for Tory Homes. You're the director of sales and a licensed real estate agent for it's T O R I I, right? Cool. Okay. Yep. Uh, so tell us about Tory Homes. And your work there? Yeah, so Tory, uh, so Tory was the company started four years ago. Um, in fact, the CEO is somebody I worked at another startup um, at. Uh, he was uh, he was one of the lead engineers. I was one of the lead sales guys. We always had that joint passion, or or I guess like similar passion when it comes to real estate. So we had stayed in touch. He started the company. I prior to joining Tory have no professional real estate experience, um, but he, uh, you know, again he knew that uh, you know not trying to not trying to toot my own horn horn here, but that toot away. A, you're on the podcast. You're the guest. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm a decent sales guy. So he was like, uh, you know, why don't we like why don't we stay in touch? Like there could be an opportunity, especially if you want to get into real estate. Um, and he's the one that convinced me to get my license. He's the one that kind of. Uh, uh, obviously brought me on to the Tory team uh, and what and the, what kind of drew me to Tory was the, the whole focus on reinventing home buying. And specifically I say home buying because Tory really is geared towards the home buyer. Selling, we do, we do a little bit of that, but really the buying experience is so painful right now. It's so complicated. It's so cumbersome. It can be so confusing, especially for, for first time home buyers. So what we're trying to do and our new tagline is like you know we're a home for all things home so mm-hmm. anything related to home buying anything related to the home buying experience we're trying to streamline that as much as possible you know number one like you know we have vendors lined up already you don't have to find your own inspector you don't have to find your own lender you don't have to find your own attorney we have those things lined up and the bonus is you use them, which you're—I mean, which it makes sense for you to do. But if you use them, we help cover um, a decent chunk of your closing costs. 
So, so that's the value add for, for the client. But yeah, we're trying to make the home buying experience easier than ever. And that's really kind of, you know, our focus in the short term and in the long term, but we're trying to add other things as well, like Tory movers, Tory loans one day, like even, even things like uh, Tory concierge. So not just home buying, but what's home owning going to be like, right? Like mm-hmm. making home owning easier mm-hmm. by giving you access to um, like, you know, plumbers, electricians, HVAC professionals, like that can help you, uh, you know, be a better homeowner essentially. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that's a little bit about Tori. It's like working with a buyer for the first time and then having a long time relationship with them while they're owning the home as well. Exactly. Like yeah. So yeah, we're trying to build a relationship. I mean, usually obviously home buying is such a transactional thing, right? Like mm-hmm. one time and then you kind of move on and maybe one other time in their life, you're, you're doing another transaction with them. But we're trying to make like a build a relationship out of it. And that's why Tory concierge and some of these other things um, are part of the process. Do you know the derivation of the name? Like, where did Tori come from? Do you know? Yeah, so Tori is um, is the Japanese symbol for. Uh, that's a good. Uh, I've been to Japan too, and I learned this, but it's something about like freedom or something about like you know uh, like entering a barrier into a new barrier into like a new life, right? And that's symbolic to home buying, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so that's where the name comes from. And James, uh, James, our CEO, he's been to Japan. And uh, and obviously the the, the Tory, like the, the symbol of a Tory kind of looks like a home, right? Okay. So, so our symbol is a little bit kind of just like that. So kind of just made sense. Wow. That's pretty clever. Well, Rory rhymes a Tory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm going to get those tongue twisted a little bit, right? You said you had a tech background. Mm-hmm. So were, did you work in technology before real estate? Yeah. So um, out of college, I was a financial advisor for several years. Uh, I learned a lot of what I know now from those four years. Uh, but after that, I always wanted to get into uh, the startup ecosystem, specifically like the Boston tech scene. So from 2010 to uh, about 2020, like I was in small tech startups, no company bigger than bigger than like 80 people. I mean, some the smallest company I worked at was four people. So mm-hmm. a little bit all over the map and different types of software slash media companies, but all in the technology space. So, um, so yeah, that was the last 10 years prior to me joining Tori. Tell me about the people that you work with. Like what's the relationship with like the real estate world? Like, are you dealing with a lot of people that are kind of coming and going in Boston, people that aren't thinking toward their future or building wealth or anything, you know, they're looking for that big cash out, right? You know, they're looking to get a, a huge influx of, of money from angel investors or to, you know, be sold to Google. Um, right. So along the way until that happens, like what, what's people's mindset usually? I mean, you know, that's long-term, right? Uh, and, and yes, you need to have that in mind. You need to have that context that like, look, we're doing this to become a hundred billion dollar company one day, right? We're doing this to uh, surpass the Zillows and Redfins of the world and become, we want to be the 800 pound gorilla, right? Mm-hmm. But there's so much stuff that needs to be done between now and that point. So the people that work at Tory and the people that you know I interact with on a daily basis, like they need to be extremely driven. 
and they need to be very internally motivated, right? Because there's nobody like even even James or you know our CRO Mike, like he can't he doesn't have time to breathe down everybody's neck. There's no there's no uh, there's no time for micromanagement, right? So we need people who are go getters, who are internally motivated, who have their own personal goals. Um, because that's the only way we can succeed. And if you have multiple people who have that same kind of mindset, um, with the context of what we're trying to do in the long term, that makes for like a good recipe to mm-hmm. uh, to build something big. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about real estate technology. Um, since Tori, you know, has that as part of the backbone, and I know Rory, uh, part of why you picked up the next home brand is because of their how they leaned into technology. Is that correct? Yeah. So, I mean, why I, I love talking to Saad, um, you know, a ton of respect. And I love engaging with other brokerages that are, you know, really innovative in this space. And, you know, I think his past comment touched on two things. I mean, I think it, brokerage to be successful, you know, as the whole industry keeps changing uh, very much year to year, is you have to have really good high quality systems that make life that make life easier for people um, and your clients, but you also have to have the right people in place. No amount of technology is going to replace um, good agents and people who are hungry and that are true go-getters, um, but it's going to make their work that much easier and it's going to deliver a better product to the end user. And nobody really knows for sure where the real estate industry is going to go. Maybe Saad has a good handle on it, but you know, the real estate agents say fit in with everything. Um, and you know, what systems are going to make are, are going to be used to, um, you know, improve the whole customer experience in a field that is not the most respected among its own consumers. Was there a question in there? No, I kind of I, I, I kind of danced around something in there, and I'm just like, I, I kind of like the systems that you know that you know the innovative brokerages are bringing. Um, so I just wanted to know, you know, where does where does Saad think that the the industry is going to go? You know, what are what do the clients what are the clients looking for, and how do real estate brokerages have to adapt to um, to the modern consumer? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a very like relevant question to something that we're still trying to figure out is how do consumers, how do buyers or potential buyers want to be reached out to? How do they want to be talked to? What kind of language should we be using? Like we're still trying to figure that out. Uh, There's no secret sauce. And that's why it's like, you know, there's going to be a lot of trial and error. But, um, you know, when we talk about millennials, we talk about first time buyers, we talk about, uh, you know, even like, you know, uh, even folks that will be buying three, four or five years from now, they don't want to answer the phone. That's something that's very real. Right. Even like we, we had this conversation as a leadership team just the other day is like if one of us gets a phone call from somebody again, I'm an agent. So that's different. If I get a call, if I get a phone call from from a number, I don't know, I'm picking that up. But but if 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 somebody else on the leadership team or, or somebody else on our team gets a call from um, a number they don't know, they're not picking it up. Right. So so we're trying to find out. What's the best way to reach out? Gone are the days of like, all right, the lead comes in, now call them right away and with the assumption that they're ready to buy right now, right? Mm -hmm. That's not Mm -hmm. fair. Right. That's not fair. It's, and honestly, in most cases, it's just not true. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are downloading apps that are downloading because, because again, you know, talking about real estate tech, we, we have our own app and there's a lot of cool, neat features on there. But just like people peruse through properties on Zillow and Redfin, they're doing the same thing on Tori. Right. So, 
So it's unfair for us to assume that they're ready to buy now, but the key is to have a good nurturing process, right? So to make sure that they're that they keep Tory top of mind, that they understand that we're just giving them value right now. We're not asking them for a single thing. What we're just going to do is give them value, make sure that they feel heard, that they feel listened to. But so when the time is right, they're going to be like, I want to talk to these guys. Right. Because so so that's something that's really kind of near and dear to us. Uh, it's much more it's it's and it's very different than, you know, how Rory, you alluded to this. It's very different than how um, traditional brokerages uh, not only operate today, but they've operated for decades like that. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, and that involves a pretty large rethinking of the whole business. You know, it's not just a transactional um, process anymore. Maybe it was before my memory, but even in the, the, the 10 years I've been doing it, this is not um, a transactional business. This is a relationship business. So it's not about, you know, the real estate's one part of it, but it's about maintaining good relationships with a whole bunch of people for a long period of time and on terms that they want. And, you know, I'd be interested to hear you know, how you can communicate with your clients because you're, you're right. People today, they don't want to answer their phones. They don't want to be interrupted, but they also expect you to be you know, available pretty rapidly um, when they do decide to need you. Um, and that creates a whole bunch of challenges for, for communicating. So how do you communicate with your relationships um, over time? Yeah, so the way we the way we do it right now, I mean, we we just like we're a tech company, we leverage technology, right? So we, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, text messaging is one thing, but you know, we use email sequences. We have like content that we're spewing out on a fairly regular basis. Again, as I mentioned earlier, as we all know, home buying is complicated. Sometimes people just want information. Sometimes they sometimes they don't even know what information to ask for. Right. So what we're trying to do is based off, for example, when somebody signs up for the app, there's a few key uh, bits of information that we ask for. Right. We ask for location that they're potentially looking in. We ask for budget and we ask for their status. Like, are they actively looking? Is it six months out, a year out or more? Based on that, what we can do is start to personalize. Right. We can start to personalize the messaging to them. So that starts to build trust. You know, you, the more personalized you are, even if it sometimes means you're a little creepy. Right. Because yeah. you've like looked at their LinkedIn page, checked out their Instagram, you know, see what they're posting on Twitter. And sometimes, again, it's hard to get that information, but um, it shows that you're doing your research and that you're tailoring your messaging to that particular individual. And this day and age, consumers, that's what they're looking for is they're okay with that hyper targeting uh, and that's just, i know the older generations they're not but the mm -hmm. newer generations absolutely are so and that's why we're kind of like using that approach of like give 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 before we ask for anything and that giving involves incorporating that that extra level of personalization that is um that's not common in real estate i mean i think the challenge in your you seem to be hitting on it is how to answer their questions when they don't even know what their question is in the first right. place. Um, anticipating from their behavior or what they're doing, um, you know, what is the best information for them? Um, instead of just instead of just sticking everybody with every bit of information or article that you could possibly conjure up. Right. So one of the things that we, uh, one piece of collateral that we put together is like a process map, 
right? So basically, like, you know, day one, when you're ready, you know, right now, like, whenever that time is right, day one, this is what it looks like. And then, you know, from there, here are all the different steps. It's kind of like a Candyland board, right? Like, like nice. so it's like a Candyland type of board where it shows you, like, along each step of the way, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So it's, like, clear as day. It's kind of fun. But at the same time, it's not asking for anything either. It's just like informational. So yeah. uh, most people just, they just don't even know what, like that's something that they can reference. Doesn't matter who they're using as a brokerage, right? Mm-hmm. Different things obviously will help make those processes easier along the way. But, um, you know, it's something that they can certainly reference no matter, uh, no matter who they choose to use with, to, to go with. Let's talk a little bit about the other side of the transaction as well, because, you know, since you're working a lot with, buyers, my hunch is a lot of buyers, at least first time buyers these days, were probably born, you know, 1980 and afterward, right? Maybe mid 80s, 85 or so. If you're born 85 or 36 years old today, uh, recording this in 2021. And Boston might trail some other markets. I mean, like people tend to get married a little bit later here, have kids a little bit later here than in places in the Midwest and the South. You know, so every market's probably a little bit different, but it's probably fair to say that the cohort of people that are looking to buy homes the first time are probably under 40, if not under 35 in many situations. Right. But, it, but you're often dealing with owners of properties who are older, right? They're downsizing or they're moving on or they're moving up. Um, perhaps they have a relationship with a brokerage that's a legacy brokerage. And I'm not disparaging anybody or trying to be ageist or anything, but like, you know, there are very tech forward brokerages and there are people that have been doing this for decades who are very kind of stuck in their ways of doing it very differently. Like how, how did the two of you navigate systems and situations where you might be working in a very tech forward environment with your buyer, but the other side of the transaction might be, you need to fax things over to them or, you know, like, if they're very different from how they want, how you expect them to want to be communicated with. I'll certainly jump in first. Yeah. So um, I think, so first of all, we'd like to handle both sides, <laughs> right? Like, uh, you know, that's the ideal situation is that we're representing, we're helping them buy, but also sell their current property. But that's why you just need to have a good team. And we don't pretend to know how to do everything ourselves. Um, so that's why, like, you know, for example, we use, uh, we use, I personally, in my transactions, have used one particular um, attorney in along my uh, for every single transaction that I've done since I've been at Tory, um, and I trust them. I know that no matter who I bring in as a client, whoever I'm working with, however complicated it is, they'll help me figure it out. <laughs> if I don't know the answer, that they'll they'll respond in the appropriate way and make sure that the client feels comfortable as well. Similarly, that's it's it's almost equal, it's probably equally as important for that to be the case on the lender side. So so I think team really matters. And and if you have a team that's flexible, if you have a team that's technologically savvy, but also has experience, right, with uh, with some of these uh, more old school, uh, uh, potentially like second, third, fourth time buyers, because we get some of those as well. Um, I think that's really important. And it gives the client like ease and it gives them and it builds credibility as well. So uh, so that's that would be kind of like long winded way of, of saying that team, I think, is really important. And Rory, what do you think? I mean, I think as part of the being technologically advanced is being able to communicate with different people in different ways and know who is who. Um, you know, if you talk, if you try to generalize about younger clients, younger buyers and sellers, 
they also have within that cohort a lot of different communication styles that you need to account for. And some of the, you know, the legacy communication styles when we're talking about older people, but not exclusively so, that's just another communication style that need that you know your systems need to be able to adapt for. And when you're talking about other outside vendors, you know, we may develop the best internal system and we think it's great. And we hope that everybody who interacts with us from vendors to clients is going to use it. That's not always true. Sometimes those third-party providers have their own systems that we have to now adopt and navigate as well, or they might, you know, they might require everything in the mail. So you need to have, you know, a bit of flexibility built into your own systems. I mean, I do love DocuSign. (laughs) <laughs> but it's a pain in the butt. I mean, we just, we're going to just did a closing last week on an investment that we, we just bought. And I thought it was a pain that I had to go drive, you know, 50 miles away to go sign something, frankly, but I had to, right. The two of us did. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, I've encountered many people, I'm sure Sahad had as well, where they can't figure out DocuSign and you have to find some other solution to get little things done. I think that's a minority of, of people these days, but there are people out there. You know what? One of my sellers um, in an estate sale, one of the adult sellers didn't have an email address. That make, just by not having an email address, that kind of negates all of the online systems that we have, including DocuSign, and we have to come up with an alternative way to get everything else done. At the risk of sounding like we're exclusive, which we're not, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in order to, in order to even sign up for Tori, you need to have an email, right? Yeah. Like, like it, where we are a technology company first before a real estate company. And in order to use our app, which everybody, we want everybody to be using our app, right? And if they're going to be searching for properties and things like that, they need to have an email. So that baseline kind of needs to be there in order for them to effectively work with us. Um, and, my hunches, uh, specifically for Tori, if that's an issue early on, they're not going to work with us anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's just something that we've we've realized uh, as an organization, and frankly, we're okay with that. No, and that's that's very smart of you. I mean, if somebody can't use your systems, then all the the time and the energy and the money that you've put into building and perfecting those is lost on the person. Um, and you're probably not the best fit for them. Right. And, and, and thinking long term, like, are we going to get referrals from them? Probably not. <laughs> right. Because the right. experience is going to be not geared towards them. It probably makes sense for them to work with, uh, with, uh, uh, with, you know, one of the older shops. And that's totally fine with us. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's something that's really important is like, know who your niche is, right? Know mm-hmm. who's going to work with you, who's not going to work with you and live with the results. So I think that's good advice for any business, though. I mean, not just technology and real estate. Um, you know, vetting sales leads or any kind of uh, potential business, and not just taking the high quality stuff, but realizing that there is a limit as to how much uh, you know somebody can take on. Like at least in the sales organization, like the one that I work for, um, there's some basic stuff that people aren't going to want to buy advertising from us if they don't fit a couple criteria. And then it just becomes a lot of conversations and a lot of, a lot of time, uh, the opportunity cost that could be used working with other clients, um, you know, really kicks in. And next thing you know, you're spinning your wheels or dealing with somebody that's a low value, you know, opportunity for you. I see it all the time with our short-term rentals 
where, you know, I don't mean to be arrogant about this or anything, but, you know, hmm. knock wood, we, we've had a pretty good couple of years of, of renting our places. I think we do a pretty good job with them. Like we have a couple, we have good rentals. We communicate really well. We're honest with everything. The prices are fair, but sometimes you'll get people that will inquire and ask 75 different million different questions and ask for discounts and ask for this. And you could tell that like, it'll just be easier to rent to somebody else and it'll rent to somebody else because it always does. So it's in that same person is going to have a better experience if they go elsewhere. It's not, it's just not a good match all the time. Yeah. I mean, like Rory, you and I joke about it all the time about the tech that we put in our homes that we try to make it as idiot proof as possible. Like we have multi-page document that should answer all the questions you have <laughs> about passwords and how to work this and how to work that. But like, you know, we have a guest right now who, you know, can't figure out like the, the door, to get inside, right? Like a couple of days ago, you know, it was very clear, like touch the pad a couple of times, it'll light up and then you put the code in. Well, you know, a couple you know, hours later, I get a message back, oh, the code didn't work. I'm thinking, well, did the pad light up? Yes, it did. Okay, I'm thinking, I know the code works, but mm -hmm. okay, here, try this one. That didn't work either. Okay, try this one. It's the one that our housekeeper uses. And she was there yesterday, right? <laughs> I had to use the hard key. Okay, and then finally you figure out, nope, they just weren't pushing hard enough. And I'm like, you know, and, and the Nest thermostat was thing number two. And then the Apple TV was thing number three. They were all with the same people, but it's always the same people, right? And it's always not understanding like some facets of technology. I can't figure out the Nest. You turn the thing or you push into it. You guys probably experienced the same exact thing, like, you know, with a lot of your clients, but, um, but I digress. So let's talk a little bit about your um, personal investments um, and kind of your mindset toward um, real estate, building wealth in real estate. Because um, you know what I thought was interesting about you is is that you're putting your money where your mouth is, right? And you have your own mindset toward building a portfolio if you've already built a portfolio. So you know if you if you want to share to whatever extent that you are comfortable sharing about you know some of um, your property, that would be great to hear. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I got interested in real estate, honestly, because, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that I was a financial advisor for a few years. So, so spoke with a lot of clients who had property, um, all that kind of stuff. And I knew that, and then, you know, early on, I started investing in mutual funds and stocks and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, ETFs, started to build my investment portfolio from that end, and then bought my first property in 2013. Um, you know, condo in East Cambridge in 2017, used the equity in the in that particular property to buy our second, uh, you know, condo in East Cambridge. And then, um, you know, a couple of years later, we bought this place and, uh, and uh, again, using the equity. So, so, and, and like, you know, the investments that we've built up over the last 15 years or so. So, um, so yeah, it was a combination of things, but like, I mean, that's, you, you mentioned it, like, like you don't build wealth just by like making money, but just by getting a salary, right? Like you gotta, mm -hmm. you gotta do some smart things with that money once you get it. Uh, it's not just about saving; it's about uh, investing, and and that's why um, that's why we started it doing that way. My wife and I were always on the same page in terms of like you know location and things like that. She trusted me to kind of like you know make the right decisions and and what have you. Obviously, there've been some. It's it's never a hundred percent. You're never gonna get an A plus for every move you make, but there's some risk that comes with the game. But you've got to be okay with it. Right. And, and, uh, and we are, so, um, so that's, what's led us to where we are today, which, uh, you know, thankfully, um, 
thankfully, like, you know, we have a, we have a beautiful home in East Cambridge. We plan on staying here for the next 10 years or so. Yeah. And the plan is, again, to use the equity to buy more property later on. Um, which, in my view, I know there's a lot of people I talked to at that event that you guys held. Um, you know, a lot of the focus is on cash flow, right? Yeah. It's like buy a property for cash flow. And that's, of course, important. Like, you know, if you're if you're not cash flowing on a property, that's a problem. <laughs> but right. um, but but in my view, like, you know, in, in my view, like when you start thinking about appreciation, like that's chess versus mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the cash flow piece being checkers. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Um, so, yeah. So that's kind of where my head's at when it comes to um, investing and investing in general and particularly investing in real estate. I think we, we've had a, a fortunate run up here in the greater Boston area in, you know, at least the past you bought in 2013. My first place here was in 2003 in South Boston. So we've been fortunate to see a couple different run-ups here. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of people have experienced that over the past year in markets across the country. You know, since COVID hit, everything shut down for a couple of months and everything just went on fire, you know, right. over the past, you know, 12, 15 months. You know, so there is a lot of equity that people are sitting on. And, um, you know, I, I think that equity is important. I mean, like, I, I don't, I don't think that any of the investments we've made, the goal was that this is going to just, you know, continue to grow and grow and grow, but that's a nice side effect. And in some situations, it's super, it really surprised me as to how much it did grow. Right. Um, and the cash flow side of it as well is good to cover your bills. Some people need to make money on the cash flow, right? But some people want to cover their bills and rely on the, the equity appreciation. And I think that the massive home run is when it all kind of you know, it all kind of hits, like you got appreciation, you have cash flow, you have the tax benefits, um, you know, and, and you happen to be just in a good area, uh, right. which Cambridge is, I mean, like Cambridge has just been consistently hot for, for quite some time. It, were you able to keep your other two places along the way? Like, do you rent those out or did you just keep moving your money? Yeah. So the, we have those two other places, they're being rented out. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. So you get, so you got all all facets of it, cash flow and tax benefits, depreciation. I mean, like you said, that's the, that's the home run, home run, right? Like, yeah. Uh, but but it requires. It, I mean, you guys know this, but but for the audience, like, it requires patience. It requires discipline. It requires dealing with some of the bumps and bruises along the way. Mm -hmm. You might have a pain in the pain in the butt tenant, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Like, but that's okay. Like, as as long as you can deal with it and deal with it the right way, uh, and make sure you're doing the right stuff from a tax perspective, like you said, right? So, like. As long as you can put that those pieces together, and maybe not all right away, but like you know, eventually you're building up to it. Um, that's how people get wealthy. Like, mm -hmm. like they don't get wealthy overnight. You know, right. that just doesn't happen. You hear about like these these overnight successes. The problem is there, there's no overnight success. <laughs> like, right. like people have busted their butts to get to that point, and and I think that gets lost a lot, especially in this day of social media and 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 what have you. Like people really work hard to get there. So and it takes a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So so that's kind of like you know the mindset that we've had, more of like a growth mindset, long term, um, and you know hopefully we can retire by the time mm -hmm. we're 45. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's, that's kind of the goal of it, right? So that's a great goal to have. I mean, like, you know, financial, uh, the fire movement uh, is is big and in full effect. I don't know if you follow the financial independence stuff, but yeah, yeah, that was when I was in my early 20s, like that wasn't really anything that you could read about. So like I started reading about that, you know, just a couple of years ago and I'm like, God, man, I wish I was like, you know, 
15 years ago where I yeah. kind of plan for fire when I'm the age where I am right now. Uh, instead, you know, it's, it's a little bit different and people that are a little bit younger, you know, are you in your thirties right now or? Yeah, I'm 25. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in your thirties, you know, you, you have that 10 year window right now, which is, you know, it's great. Check those. And, and you know, part of it should be pretty boring, right? I mean, in wealth building should be boring. Like if you're throwing money into the stock market and you have somebody watching it for you, it should be boring. You shouldn't, be, you know, day trading is probably not the way to build long-term wealth, right? I mean, you're a financial guy, like, you know, this more than no, me. Like, not, man. Yeah. I mean, like if anybody who follows my Instagram knows, I post a lot, not just about real estate, but like about stock market stuff and, like, yeah. you know, uh, f personal finance and what have you. And you know, that whole craze with like GameStop and like those oh, stocks yeah. and whatnot. Like, yeah, there were a few people who made a lot of money, but what percentage of the total population that invested in that stuff like made up that group? Very small. There's, so there was a lot of people who lost their shirts, you know, yeah. doing that. Because the fact of the matter is like that stuff is not a way to, um, to build wealth like sustainably. Right. Right. The sustainable way to do it is, again, make some decisions, do your research, like invest your money wisely, get some help and then like be disciplined and be uh, be consistent. That's another mm -hmm. thing. You just have to be consistent, not just like you invest once and just let it be like you've got to keep doing it. That's why dollar cost averaging is a tried and true strategy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it will yeah. always be a, it will always be something that will work. But but not everybody. Everybody wants that overnight like win. And that's right. just not so. Right. I mean, it's a sports analogy is blocking and tackling, right? You know, it's boring. You want that play down the field, but like blocking and tackling, if you don't, if you can't master that stuff, you're not going to win the game. And, exactly. you know, the dollar cost averaging and buying index funds and, you know, buy and hold real estate, like it's boring stuff, but it works. Right. Exactly. It works. Um, You'll thank yourself. You'll thank yourself like, uh, you know, five, 10 years later. But yeah. but that's better than like six months later being like, damn, I shouldn't have done that, <laughs> yeah. you know, or I should have done that. So yeah. yeah, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're in your 20s or you're in your 30s, like take advantage of these strategies right now. You know, time is on your side. Compounding interest is on your side. Like it's all the cliche stuff that everybody talks about, but it's completely true. I could say it 10 years older than you like that it's true, you see it right now. And people in the twenties are saying, geez, I wonder if this stuff is true. It's all true. It's all hmm. true, right? 100% true, yeah. It's just, um, not, it's, just, it's just not hot, right? It's, no, it's not. The it's sexy, not. sexy thing that everybody wants to talk about, but it works. You ask any of these like big time financial pundits, you look at, I mean, yeah, B Buffett is probably like an unfair example, but, right. but, like, but like any of these guys, like they've done it the boring way. They have not yeah. done it. It has been exciting, but they've started businesses and stuff like that. They took some like calculated risks. That's a, that's a way to build wealth too. But the tried and true way is just to invest and invest regularly, and you mm -hmm. know, don't don't bank on like stonks. <laughs> that's yeah. not the way to do it. So. You know, as as we head toward our final wrap up questions and whatnot, like I I think that you know, what you're, what you're getting at right here is similar to the strategy that at least I've employed and that we've employed, Rory and I have, um, you know, and we'll talk to all different types of investors. Like people want to have 400 doors is what they'll say. You listen to the podcast and they're buying 10 doors and 20 doors and, you know, they're buying all this other stuff like, uh, you know, mobile home parks and, and you name it, right? 
And that's great. If that works for them, that's great. Like, and I, I don't want to speak for you what your strategy is, but like the two things along the way have been a trail of kind of where you've lived and you've kept and you've rented. We didn't do quite that, but we're, we do have an objective, at least I do, to do one purchase every year for 10 in a row. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're kind of on the midpoint there and, you know, we're, we're there. Like we've, there was one year that we didn't, but we made up for it by doing two or three deals in a couple of other years surrounding it. Like this year, we just did one last year. We did none. The previous year we did three. So by at the end of those 10 years, you know, stacking it all up, building your real estate stack, like now you have 10 properties or 10 years of things. And like, I don't need to have all the pieces. Like I just need to have enough to keep me happy. Right. right. So, right. I, I, you know, it sounds like you're, you, you might have different vision for the next 10 years, which is what your, your goal is to retire at 45. But what you've done up until this point is a very similar calculated strategy. Yes. And then, you know, I have personal goals for sure uh, in terms of like, you know, the value of my property portfolio where I, where I want slash need that to be in uh, by the time we're 45. Uh, and obviously that incorporates like the, inv- the other investment too, right? Like the stock market stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, my wife works for Google, so she's got like we have company stock that's fairly valuable as well. So like all that kind of it, it it's got to the context needs to be there for each piece. Like you can't mm-hmm. look at just one of those pieces alone. So, yeah, I've got personal goal and it's important to have a plan. And that's what, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like but you need to be have that plan, but you need to have flexibility along the way because things do happen. Things mm-hmm. change. You need to be OK with that. But uh, but that will be my tip for everybody is like have at least some semblance of a plan. Don't just shoot from the hip, <laughs> right? right? Like like I think uh, just just simple exercises like writing stuff down and making sure that you and your partner, if you have one, like are on the same page in terms of that plan and that you're doing the right things together, or at least like you know have an understanding with each other about what that plan is and kind of tick things off and have regular check-ins. Like that stuff helps. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, just like similar to your plan and, and how you're working towards it, like we're doing the same thing and, and, and that's proven to be quite helpful. Yeah. Excellent advice. That's going to be a good sound bite from this. <laughs> so let's get into our final wrap up. We asked the same three questions of everyone that appears in the podcast, just to try to leave on a, a bit lighter of a note. Rory, do you want to do these? Do you want me to jump into them? I know that I have written down, you probably don't have written down, so. Well, I'll wing it here. So if you had to speak on something, anything for 30 minutes to an audience without any preparation, what would, what would that topic be? That topic would be basketball. Yeah. Um, I could talk about basketball. I could talk about the Celtics, the NBA, easily my favorite league, (laughs) my favorite professional league It's definitely my favorite sport, both to play and to watch. I can't say I'm a, I'm a basketball like history buff, but, Mm -hmm. but like, I just love the game, you know, so, so it's fun to, fun to play it, talk about it, like, and and not just about the NBA itself, but even about like playing basketball, like different moves and strategies and defense offense. So that would be the thing I could talk about forever. Did you play in school, like high school or college or recreation? Um, I didn't play for the high school or for college, but I played through high school and college. Like I, I played in a church league in, in yeah. high school. I played in um, intramural in college. And even like through COVID and all that stuff, I kept playing like every mm-hmm. week, every couple of weeks. Um, I mean, a couple of kind of like loose, uh, like uh, 
you know, like time boxed five on five sessions every week. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big part of my life. So I hate oh, running. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a competitive sport, that would be it to, to get running. Like, it's yeah. the worst. Yeah. But I mean, you're running a lot in basketball. I mean, up and down the court, unless you're playing like half court and you can just kind of have outlet passes and that kind of thing. So, so, so that's what I mean. Right. Like, but, but in, in basketball, you're not really thinking about running. It's just that, it's right. that competition part of you, that comp competition part of your brain kind of, you know, it creeps in. Whereas while you're running, I mean, you're just on a treadmill or outside and I just can't do that. <laughs> My, my very first championship in life in sports was in basketball and I'm nice. not a basketball player. It was the CYO league back in like, I don't even know, grade fifth, sixth or seventh grade or something. Yeah. That's exactly and, what I do. Yeah. yeah. And I was always a baseball guy and, you know, Rory and I play on the same softball team and uh, I played flag football for many years and we've had a lot of success in our adult life in recreational sports. <laughs> but like that was the one championship I ever had, like leading up until 10 years ago playing softball you know was nice basketball. Huh? awesome more follow-up are you are you an nba top shot guy or not really not really no not really. Okay. yeah i have this strange <laughs> obsession with nba top shot and i don't watch much basketball but i okay. do have a lot of those nfts i don't know why i just do well i mean that's it's hot right now so it's hot <laughs> it's, it's, hot. Yeah, it's that's hot. awesome good for you i have a few friends uh, who are big are big into that so are yeah. they okay they probably have better collections than i do <laughs> Two, Rory, do you know the second one or should I go into number two? I'll let you do up? the second one. All right. Tell us something that happened early on in your life or career that impacted the way that you work today. That's easy. So I, uh, so my father's a physician, uh, my mom, homemaker, right? So, and they moved to this country uh, with me when I was like a year old. So I've, even though I wasn't born in this country, like I was raised here. And like when I went to college, the expectation was, and I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the oldest of four kids. Um, mm -hmm. The expectation was that I was going to be a doctor. Right. Of course. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I remember after my first semester of college, not even my, midway through my first semester of college after like, you know, bio one-on-one and chem one-on-one, I'm like, this sucks. I'm like, I don't, I do, like, I'm like, I remember, cause I was like, mom, dad, I gotta talk to you. Like, right. And then and I was sitting in the back seat of our SUV. I could see my dad's eyes through like the rear view mirror. Um, and I was telling, I told him, I'm like, guys, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to be a doctor. And I know that. Mm -hmm. And I remember my dad saying like, do you want to drop out of school? Like, like as if, as if like it was a it binary was, choice, right? Yeah. It was this or that, doctor or nothing. Yeah, exactly. He's like doctor or you're a complete like deadbeat, Failure. right? <laughs> uh, and my dad and I still talk about it to this day, but like uh that was actually like a really motivating moment to me. Like it was like like I'm gonna prove my dad wrong. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to do this, I'm going to be successful, I'm going to be able to take care of my family as well if not better than my dad did for us. Um, and, uh, and I'm just going to prove him wrong. So it was like a big motivating thing for me. And at that point I had no idea what the hell I was going to do. Uh, I yeah. had no idea what my career trajectory was going to be. I had to figure it out all out on my own. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that would be the, the moment that I would point to. So I too am a, a reformed pre-med. I actually went as far as to take the MCAT. Oh, really? And, wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a biology major. And I, I didn't have the, the the family pressure wasn't really there. I, I, my parents aren't doctors or anything. But um, I had this expectation of just being good at math and science. And I kind of had this set up in my head that this is what I wanted to do. Um, 
in high school and then through yeah. college. And it, isn't it like cathartic the moment that you finally like let it out saying like, I don't want to do this and you admit it and oh. you say it and then you move on. Like, yeah. I mean, even though I didn't know what I wanted to do, I still remember, like, I just felt better. I felt so good. I was like, yeah. felt free. like I, like the world was in front of me and I'll, but I don't know what it's going to be, but it's out there and I'll figure it yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, we're so, we're asked to define ourselves so early also, like pick a major when you get to college and that's what you're going to study there. And that's where you do the whole life. But like, you know, nobody really goes to college for real estate. So people that kind of find their way yeah. into real estate or, or tangential fields or uh, connected to real estate investing, like they all kind of figure it out either during college or afterward or far after. Right. And that's fine. Yeah. I was a, I was an econ and psychology major, had no idea what the hell I was going to do with that combo of majors, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. but, uh, but, uh, but, you know, went to this session that where Ameriprise Financial was talking about being a financial advisor. I'm like, that kind of works, combination of like finance and psychology, <laughs> like, 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 you know, sales, right? So I was like, let's try that out. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's been a big part of my foundation for, sure. for uh, you know, my life today. So that's a great lesson for people listening who are still in college. Like, if you don't want to go to med school, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Rory, you could do uh, number three. What content are you consuming these days? Podcasts, TV shows, anything? What what's your go-to content these days? Besides the NBA. Uh, yeah, right. So I'm a big. Uh, I love Netflix's content. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, I was. I, I, in fact, like, I watched Selling Sunset. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Selling Sunset, mm -hmm. but uh, mm -hmm. I watched some of that for quite some time before I even joined Tori and kind of like learned a lot about like little things, little little like uh, bits and pieces of the real estate world. Uh, I love the shows that they have, like Stranger mm -hmm. Things and Ozark. Like those are fantastic shows. I can't wait for the next seasons. Um, so uh, professionally, like keeping current matters, I think they're awesome. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. put a lot of good content out there. I think it's really interesting. Uh, one thing that I do if for anybody who follows me on Instagram is I do these funny like real estate videos um, where I basically kind of lip sync a song and have it be parlayed into some sort of real estate message. Okay. <laughs> uh, and I get my ideas while listening to Pandora, free Pandora, I should say, I don't pay for it, <laughs> um, right. while, I'm, while I'm driving. So I, because I, uh, obviously I drive a lot as a real estate agent. So it's a great time for me to just kind of listen to a few things and get some more ideas for new content that I put on, uh, on Instagram, so. Fully admit, I haven't seen that. I have to, but you have to, what is your Instagram handle that everyone can follow you? It's uh, Saad Munir, so S-A-A-D-M-U-N-1-R. So the I is actually a one. <laughs> Got it. All right, we'll, we'll check that out and see some of your lip syncing. And by the way, on Netflix, Rory and I just finished up Clickbait. Have you seen that yet? Oh, uh, I've heard really good things though. Yeah, no, yeah, it was it. cool. There were like, every time you think you figure it out, there's another twist. Nice, awesome. And, what, and what's the other, Rory, what's the, other, the real estate show that we're watching? The, the, the women that are doing the motel up in Canada? I forget the name of it, but that's yeah. their, it's the motel transformation. It's basically... For for Airbnb people like us, it's um it's fascinating because you're taking instead of you know one Airbnb at a time, you're buying a property with 24 motel rooms, which I see as Airbnb units in there, making a go at it. But we're at the part where COVID hit, so I'm going to see how it works out for them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, watching any of these things that are based in you know January, February of 2020, like you know the the story that's going to hit all these people, <laughs> just just in a few more weeks. 
Right. And I think I think that show plays off of uh, the popularity of Shit's Creek, you know, being a motel that you know, a quirky motel with quirky characters, and and Instagram because these two women have done a fantastic job with a previous property that they had uh, called the June, which is somewhere up in Canada, and they did some other motel over and made it very Instagrammable. So they're just doing it again now. Shit's um, Creek so is a fantastic show. Oh, oh my God, yes. What a, what I, I we power watched the whole thing, and I think I need to what watch the whole thing yeah. again. Yeah, no good. I got my. I got Somebody, I don't know, somebody at a, my previous employer mentioned it, and I was like, oh, let's try this out. And then, like, first episode, fine. But then I got my wife into it, and she just – and I actually got to, like, season four or something, or how, however many – I got to, like, the last season. And then she made me watch it from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's so fascinating about that show is how un- the character started out as so unlikable – and then they yeah. just turned into just the most likable people for all their own different reasons. I mean, without really the intention. Well, really well done yeah. show. Really well done. Yeah. Well, good. Well, we could chit chat forever, but uh, you know, let's uh, let's put a uh, we'll put a pin in this, and we'll circle back with you in a couple months and see how things are going with uh, your new place and anything else that's uh, that you've been working on at Tory and elsewhere. But you already said where we could find you on Instagram, which is Saad Munir with a one with instead of the I. Um, how else can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you by email? Yeah, email Saad at toryhomes.com. So that's S-A-A-D at T-O-R-I-I homes.com. So yeah, the, and then those that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Um, I can all be, also be reached by phone, 781-296-6446. So Perfect. <laughs> there you go. Well, give them a call, give them a text. We'll uh, drop your info in the show notes once we publish this. Um, and, and Rory, where can we people find you? I'm easy enough to find at nexthometitletown.com or urbanvillagelegal.com. Well, thank you again for appearing on the podcast, Saad. Uh, we really appreciate this. This has been an awesome discussion. I think so many lessons that, that people can take from um, the, the path uh, with which you've taken. We talked about real estate technology, talked about you know, kind of the boringness of the, of the buy and hold strategy, but how it really works. Um, and some really good fundamental principles that you guys are um, are following. So, you know, all the best with you and success. And, you know, we'll look forward to checking in with you in the future also. Yeah, sounds good. This was a lot of fun, guys. Hopefully, cool. hopefully we have a chance to do this again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we will see you at a meetup once we uh, get the masks back yeah, on. Yeah, let's do it. You know? Yeah. Let's yeah. Do it. <laughs> so uh, thanks again. This is Jason Muth from the Real Estate Law Podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast, because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.